are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So I heard a great story this week about a family who was a part of our church who began to live this way with a young man. And they just opened their arms and they said, come on, you can be a part of our lives. You can be a part of our world. You can come, you can hang out with us. You can spend time with us. We can just be together. And as a result... Jesus has changed that young man's life forever. And so, we decided that as we begin to work our way through this Lent series, that what if we lived like Jesus, sacrificially, because that's what Lent is really about. But what if we live sacrificially in regard to our relationships with other people? So what if we just opened our arms and we said, I'll sacrifice my own personal preferences and time and space, And I will make room for you in my life. I'll open my arms to you. You can come and be a part of my life. You can hang out with me. We can go for coffee. We can go for dinner. You can come to my house. We can have conversations about life. We can have conversations about faith. Maybe one day, as you build trust, you might even invite that person to church. But I will live this culture of invitation that Jesus modeled for us in the Scriptures. So what I want to do is take you back to the Gospel of John today and look at yet another example of where Jesus lived with his arms open to people. And there is a lady who Jesus says, come on, let's sit down and talk. I'll make time. I'll make space for you. Let's have a conversation about your life and about faith. So John chapter 4. Okay, John chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading with verse 4. Now, Here's what John is saying is going on. Jesus is wanting to go from the region of Judea to the region of Galilee. Samaria is in between. And so he opens the story by saying, now he had to go through Samaria. But he doesn't mean what you think he means, okay? So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon, okay? So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Hey, uh, I'm thirsty. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. But here's how the Samaritan woman responded. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, you have to remember that John writes his gospel not with Jews in mind, but with Gentiles in mind. They don't understand Jewish history, so he gives them a clue when he says, For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. That's why the woman was surprised when Jesus asked her for a drink, because Jewish people didn't even talk to Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is, that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and who drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And so Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, the story takes a little bit of a turn. It's going to get maybe a little awkward. It might feel a little uncomfortable to you for a second, so here we go, okay? He told her, why don't you go call your husband and then come back? I don't, I don't have a husband, she said. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, You've had five husbands. And the man you are now have, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And it's almost like she's wanting to defer attention, which I don't blame her. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And I want to say, no kidding. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Let's talk about a religious argument, could we? But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. But Jesus was not side-railed. He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship what we do know. For salvation will come from the Jews. Remember from the line of David, from Abraham. Yet there is a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Last line. You really listening? God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this, this is God's word for us today, okay? So I'm assuming that there are a lot of Christians in the room. I'm assuming that uh, there are many people in the room who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. So one of the things I think that followers of Jesus have to continually ask themselves is this. Am I having an impact on my culture? Am I affecting culture? Because... I know that my culture is having an impact on me. So if you're kind of sitting there listening to me and your response is, I don't know that the culture is having a great impact on me. I would say that you are seriously confused. The culture impacts you through entertainment. The culture impacts you through technology. The culture impacts you in its political arena. The culture is having an impact on you. Sometimes... That impact is positive and sometimes that impact is negative. But I promise you, you are being affected by your culture. And I think what a Christian has to always be aware of is how much is my culture impacting me and is that impact negative or is it positive? You always have to be asking those questions. But there's another question I think that you have to focus on. And that question is, am I having an impact on my culture? Am I affecting my world? I know my world is changing me. The question I have to ask is simply this. Am I changing my world as well? So I'm going to say something. And you may want to struggle for a minute. And I'm okay if you do. 
But I believe to be like Jesus, you have to be countercultural. I believe that if you want to be like Jesus, then you have to be countercultural. You have to go against the grain, against the flow. You have to counter culture. To be Christian is to be countercultural. I believe it's impossible to be Christian without being countercultural. Jesus was countercultural. Let me give you two examples just in this passage. Okay, number one, John says Jesus is going to go from Judea to Galilee, and so he had to go through Samaria. So let me show you a map. Because I think if I show you the map, it will help you a little bit understand the geography, okay? So at the bottom of the map, you have Judea. At the top of the map, you see the word Galilee. In between Judea and Galilee, you see in the purple is the region of Samaria. Now, if I showed you the map and I said to you, if I want to go from Judea to Galilee, would I have to go through Samaria? And I think that your answer would be, I think that would be the shortest route. But Jews did not go through Samaria when they went from Judea to Galilee. In fact, they go over to the right side of the map. They cross that little blue line, which is called the Jordan River. They go up through Decapolis and into Galilee. And so you may ask, why would they do that? Well, it's complicated, okay? It's hundreds of years of division. And and it's about the Samaritans being kind of this mixed religion, maybe this mixed race. And I think John sums it up really good in the text that I read you a moment ago when he said, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But when John writes the gospel, he said Jesus had to go through Samaria. And what John is saying is simply this, that Jesus did not go around cultural differences. Jesus broke social customs. Jesus did not sidestep racial prejudice. Jesus was countercultural. Second example. He goes to this well while he's in Samaria because he's tired. He sits down. The disciples go into town to get some food. And a woman comes to the well, and Jesus engages in a conversation with her, and that is taboo. There is no devout Jewish man in Jesus' day who is willing to speak to a woman in public or be alone with a woman in private who is not his wife. And here is why. People are going to talk. I mean, there is some gossip that goes around. And, and who knows, maybe it was this issue of not putting myself in a compromising position where I might be tempted, but you just didn't do it. And you especially did not do it if you were a rabbi. But yet Jesus breaks social customs. And he has a conversation with this woman. Now, I want you to look at me. And I want you to be honest with me just for a moment, okay? Well, I want you to be honest with me the whole time. But for a moment, let's think about this idea. So, does it bother you? Does it bother you a little bit? Does it bother you a little bit that Jesus is having this conversation with this woman? Okay? And it's not just any woman, but it's this woman who has a shady past. 
All right? She has a bad reputation. She is a sinful person. Does it bother you just a little bit? Okay, let's do it this way then. If you were out tomorrow and you were in some kind of, say, down on the arts district or whatever, and you happen to see me down there, and you happen to see this woman who was uh, dressed pretty provocatively, and you saw me sitting there having a conversation with this woman. We're talking, we're smiling, we're laughing, we're having a conversation that looks deep at times. Would it bother you just a little bit? Does it bother you that Jesus has a conversation with a woman like this and you and I don't have conversations with women like that? Does that bother you? Because we see women like that all the time. But we don't tend to engage. I think what happens is that we learn a couple of things. Number one, we learn where the church should go. And we learn that we should find Samarias around us. And we should cross over social, are you hearing me? Economic, are you hearing me? And political barriers and boundaries. Because if we want to be like Jesus, Jesus crossed over social and economic and political boundaries. I think the other thing that it teaches us, maybe just this really good reminder of the words of Jesus when he said, Don't you get it? I did not come for the healthy. It's the sick who need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And it reminds us that you and I should highly value spending time with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Okay, so I can't, we kind of have an understanding there. So I think the next question that we have to answer is what are we going to do? So there's got to be a to-do part of the sermon. You've got to leave here today feeling like, okay, now I think I know what I'm supposed to leave this place and do. Okay, so let's think about it. How many of you had a really great St. Patrick's Day? Not many hands out there. How many of you wore some green just so you wouldn't be criticized or pinched or whatever that is? So a friend of mine sent me an email saying, did you know this about St. Patrick? And so it was really nice to reread it. Do you know the history of St. Patrick? How many of you? Hands really high. I know all about St. Patrick. He was born in 387 in what is now Scotland. And at 16 years of age, he was taken captive by some Irish pirates who forced him to work as a slave. But in six years, he had a vision, a dream of how he could escape slavery, and he did and went back home where he became a very devout follower of Jesus and became a priest, but soon left Scotland to go back to Ireland. Do you know why? To share Jesus with the people who had taken him captive. Pretty impressive, huh? So there's a lot of fable, folklore, a lot of legend about St. Patrick who was never actually made saint by the church. But the one thing that we have that we remember him most for is what is called St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a prayer, and I want you to pray it with me. Are you ready? Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me, 
Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit in. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. And what St. Patrick was saying was, I just want people to know Jesus. I want people to see Jesus. When people are with me, I want them to see Christ. When people hear me, I want them to hear Jesus. I want Jesus to surround me. I want Jesus to encompass me. I want Jesus to live through me. I want to be Jesus to the world. I, I think it's a clue to what we do with what we've heard today. So if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to look at this story and say, so how do I, how do I respond to, how do I, how do I communicate with, how do I involve myself with people who are not yet followers of Jesus? Let's, let's take Jesus as the example then. So I got two words in my head, okay? And, and the words are evangelistic, which is not a word that you use every day, is it? The other word is prophetic. That's not a word that you use every day, right? So, to be evangelistic, I kind of like that. Do you know that there is living water available? Do you know how to find the living water? Let me show you how to find the... See, that's evangelism. I love that. I like being evangelistic. Prophetic? Not so much. Because when you think about the prophets in the Old Testament, not many of them were loved very much. Because they were the guys who told the truth. If you don't repent, you know what's going to happen to you? See, I like being evangelistic. I don't like being prophetic as much. Let me give you two other words. And when John writes his gospel, these are the words that he uses to describe Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, listen closely. It doesn't say that Jesus had some grace and he was full of truth. And it doesn't say that Jesus had a little truth and he was full of grace. It says that he was full of grace and he was full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. Now, most of us would be honest with one another to say, you know what? I tend to lean toward one or the other a little more. So there's some of us in the room who would say... I'm a little more full of truth. I think people ought to know the truth. I think people ought to know what it is. And I'm okay to be the one who tells them. And I have a little grace. And there's other people who say, I'm the grace guy. I mean, I, I'm the one who, I just love people. And I don't want to offend anybody. And I want us to all get along. And I just want to kind of love you and... Well, when it comes to telling the truth, I struggle more there. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And so while he's saying to the lady, do you know about living water? Do you have any idea what kind of a life you could be living? Do you know what's available for you? Do you know how to find it? I can help you find this living water. At the same time, he lets her know. That he knows. Go call your husband and bring him back. Uh, 
wouldn't be able to do that because presently I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. I know you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the guy that you're hanging out with now, he's not your husband. So I had a professor once who used to be the pastor of a very large church. And he said, in all the years that I pastored that church, 20-some years, I preached this one sermon that was the most popular. Now, the reason he knew it was the most popular sermon he ever preached is because in those days they sold cassette tapes. Do you remember those? And he said, we sold them for a buck apiece. And whatever cassette tape sold the most we knew that was the most popular sermon. And he said there was this one sermon that, you know, all the sermons would sell so many and some would spike a little. This one sold way up here, way above any other. He said, you know what the sermon was titled? My Secret Sins. So it's like the sin in my life that my husband doesn't know about, the sin in my life that my wife doesn't know about, the sin in my life that nobody knows about. My secret sins. And you know what Jesus does? He reveals her secret stuff. Okay, so if I told you, there's a man coming in the room in just a few minutes. He can look into your eyes and tell you everything that you've ever done. Because that's what her testimony was about Jesus. I just met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Do you want to go meet that man? You want a conversation with that guy? I certainly don't want him in a public setting like this. Do you? Hey, can we step into the back room, just me and you, if you're going to do this? I mean, do you want to meet a guy who can tell you everything you've ever done? Who knows all the secret sins? Why, why did Jesus do this? I mean, th- does this feel harsh to you? I mean, does this feel like grace? Or does this feel like truth? See, do you know that there is living water? Do you know how to find that living water? Do you know that there is a life for you? But Jesus knows deep in his heart that she will never drink the living water if she is not honest with herself and honest with the God about her own sin. And so he was full of grace and he was full of truth. So you and I struggle with the truth thing because we love being full of grace. But what do we have to offer this world if we're not willing to state the truth? I mean, if we're not going to say the truth, then then what do we have that the world isn't offering them? Why would anybody ever want to come to Jesus if there wasn't any truth? Let me talk about that for a minute. So in verse 19, the the lady says to Jesus, apparently you are a prophet. No joke, you know. He just told her everything she's ever done. And, and then she kind of says, wow, that was close to home. That kind of hurt a little bit. That stung. There was a slight pinch to that. <laughs> let's change the subject and let's argue about religion. Hey, you know what? 
You Jews say that the holy mountain of God is in Jerusalem, Zion. You know, we Samaritans say the holy mountain of God is here in Samaria, Gerizim. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, how do you know what the truth is anymore, right? I mean, how do, does anybody really know what's right and wrong? I mean, is there, are there any absolutes? Can you really know for sure that this is sin and this is not? I mean, who knows, right? And Jesus is not faced. Neither mountain. You can't contain God in a mountain. Or a temple for that matter. God is spirit. And you must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what he's really saying? It's about being honest with yourself and being honest with God about who you really are and what is really going on in that heart of yours. It's about being really honest with yourself and with God about who you are and what's happening in that heart of yours. Wow. So, let me dream with you for a minute. We had this lady named Catherine who came to the first church that I pastored and she became a Christian at 67 years of age. She had heard about Christian. She had heard about Christianity. She knew very little about it, but at 67, she becomes a Christian. She was awesome for our church. She had a very foul mouth. And, and, and she would just be herself when she would come to our church. So we had two Sunday school classes, um, one for adults and one for senior adults. And, and so she went to the senior adult class. Now, here she is with all of these little precious people who had served Jesus all of their lives. And she would go into their class and she would curse like a sailor. It was... And I got to give it up to these people. They were awesome. They loved her. They never once corrected her. They never gave her a dirty look. They just loved her. They just lived like this to her. And I remember one day when Catherine came to me and she says, I think I'm going to start talking differently. It's going to be a challenge, but I'm going to do it. And I said, why would you do that? And she said, because... Christians don't talk like me. And besides that, she says, I don't think it represents Jesus very well. I said, well, then, Catherine, I think you should, you should change the way you talk then. I remember one Sunday, she stood in front of the church, that little congregation, and she holds up a piece of paper, white notebook paper like this, and she reads it. And I'll never forget the words of that little 67-year-old lady. Just months after she came to Jesus, she said, I had no idea that God loved me and that he would forgive me of my sins. You know what she was really saying? I got a lot of stuff in my life. And because of my stuff, I had no idea that God would love me in spite of my stuff. And I had no idea that God would forgive me of my sins. The lady in the story with Jesus goes back to town and she says, you got to come and meet this guy that I just met. He told me everything I've ever done. You know what she was really saying? He knows everything there is about me. And he still loves me. Okay, now think about this. That's what God is really like. That's what God really wants to do in people's lives. What if? Just dream a minute with me, okay? What if? What if you and I allowed God to work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus? 
I mean, what if we were, what if we were really concerned about helping people find living water? What if we were full of grace and full of truth like Jesus is? What if we lived with our arms open? What would God do? So come on up. Joanna, I want you to sing this song. In these next few moments, I I want you to listen closely to these words, okay? I mean, I don't necessarily want you to sing them right now. We'll sing them later. But I just want you to pray this prayer. Let, Let the words of the song become the prayer of your heart. They're good words, I promise you. And somehow in these next few minutes that we spend together, let God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, because He does and He will, let Him talk to you. So be nothing but ears and heart in these next few minutes. many of you, and and there's many of you that I feel like I know pretty well, and and there's many of you who I would say you you love Jesus deeply, and and you really want to follow Jesus with your life, and you really want to affect your culture, and you really want to see the world changed. There is no more effective way to change the world than to share Jesus with one person, and then another person. Then another person. The other night, this precious little lady said to me, Pastor, 
I would love to share Jesus with people, but I don't really spend time with people who aren't Christian. I don't really know people who aren't Christian. I, I really value being with Christian brothers and sisters, and most of what I do is kind of right here at church. And so I said, okay, why don't you and I pray a prayer together? And this is the prayer that we prayed. You, you, you might want to write it down. And my challenge to you is that you consider praying this prayer throughout this next week. Maybe every morning you pray this prayer. Maybe you pray it today as you move through the week. But here's the prayer. It's really, really, really simple, okay? Father, bring somebody into my life this week. And when you do, give me the ability to recognize it. Okay? So, Father, bring somebody into my life this week. And when you do, just give me the ability to recognize it. Just let your spirit speak to me and say, that's her. That's him. And here's the commitment that I make, okay? When, when I realize that you have brought this person into my life and you've given me the ability to recognize them, here's what I commit to do. I commit to this, Lord. I will open my arms to that person. So here's what happened. I prayed that prayer with this precious little lady. And two times this week, God said, that's him. I was taken aback. Whoa. It's a dangerous prayer. Don't pray it unless you really mean it, okay? It's like I put it on God. God, you have to act. You got to do something. You got to move. Let me tell you something. God moved. And I found myself saying, okay, I made a commitment. Now, how am I going to open my arms to this person? And surprisingly, it was relatively easy. See, I didn't give them four spiritual laws. I didn't invite them to my church. It wasn't like that. I just began to become a friend. This is not some cheap thing of inviting people to church to fill a bunch of seats. This is about opening your arms to someone and letting them in your life and becoming a friend. And as they begin to be around you and see the Jesus in you, they'll be attracted to him because Jesus is attractive. The person that you meet this week, you may not invite on Easter. It may not be time. You may not have built that kind of credibility. It may be next Easter before they come to church with you. But just say, we can talk. We can spend time. We can get to know each other. We can have faith conversations eventually. Maybe one day it'll be right to invite them to your church. So you want to pray that prayer with me right now? Why don't we stand? And if you want to say the words, you say them. If you're not ready to say them, then don't say them. But if you are, you can just repeat this prayer after me. Father, bring someone into my life this week. Give me the ability to recognize it. 
And I will open my arms to that person. Pray this prayer with me. Christ, whom gave his body on the cross for our sins, heal your wounds by his life. And may the Spirit, who guides us to all truth, speak to you words of pardon and peace. Amen. To go now in his love and his grace being open to what he has for you. You're dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.